Relationship Rewire is made possible by support from its listeners. So please hit pause and go to growinglovenetwork.org and click on the donate button. Go ahead. We'll be glad to wait. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled, Can We Really Make America Great Again? And our guest is Carl Caton. Well, I have here with me Carl Caton of the San Antonio Marriage Initiative. Carl is the founder and uh, director. Is that what you... Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's a, a pretty humble, well, one of the more humble people I've ever met. Uh, just doing wonderful things in the San Antonio area, but not just for San Antonio. So he's been involved in helping set up similar uh, things across the countries in places like Houston and Little Rock. Is that right? That's right. Arkansas. That's right. So what is the San Antonio Marriage Initiative? Well, the San Antonio Marriage Initiative is really a community of purpose. We're a citywide organization and who's really focuses on marriage. But, but we don't work directly with couples, which kind of surprises people. Uh, but the, there is, the fact is, is that there's more than 500 folks that we work with across the city who do work with couples. So we work in those middle spaces to network, equip, and mobilize all the folks who really feel this calling to serve marriages around them. So we work in the middle spaces to facilitate uh, the the work of marriage ministry in the city. Okay, so uh, I'll have to show a little bit about myself here. I consider myself part of the San Antonio Marriage Initiative. You are Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> I am Sammy, and uh, we what I do d- work directly with marriages. So what you're saying is, um, you and the few core office people of Sammy that do all of the organizing of things and, and getting the word out to people, you're not the ones who do work directly with marriages, but you bring together people who do and you network them and you resource them and you cheerlead them right. and uh, encourage. And, and yes, that's... Well, in the last seven years, we've met more than 500 people who really have a heart to serve marriages. What's interesting is that, is that people have unique callings and unique expressions of what that looks like. So we've met pastors of churches who feel called to strengthen marriages. We've met local counselors and book authors and ministry leaders who have that calling. We've met just ordinary couples who really want to strengthen the marriages in their community. And so we serve all of these folks in the unique way that they feel called to strengthen marriages. So we work in all these middle spaces, and our vision is really to create a culture of strong marriages in San Antonio by helping the local church and helping local organizations build and strengthen marriages within the community. Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. 
So why is it that um, you're getting calls from these other cities and they're saying, what are you doing there? We want to do that. What, what, do you, what are they seeing happening that that's, you think that's bringing Sammy to, to put not, light not just on San Antonio, but across the country? Well, you know, uh, the idea of strengthening marriages through the community is nothing new. It's uh, community marriage policies is about 25 years old, and that was an effort uh, that was founded by an organization called Marriage Savers out of Maryland. And they've done a phenomenal job helping communities organize so that they can strengthen marriages and families as a result. Uh, but things change, and times have changed, and the way that we approach marriages has changed. Uh, people are not as open to an advocacy approach as a as a serving approach, and so our the style that really that we use here in San Antonio is different, and it seems to be more uh, more effective in our culture today. And so I think some of the cities that really have a heart to do this, and leaders in those cities who have a heart to do this, uh, are seeing that we're doing it in a way that's very effective, and also a way that's very sustainable. Our approach is very sustainable. It's a very low cost way to do this in a city, which is, I think, what's unique. So you said uh, there's an, an old way, an advocacy versus, what was the, the, the two different ways approaching uh, that you Well, were you know, we've, we've been involved for 30 years in a culture war around marriage, and most everyone knows that. And we've been involved in a culture war, and, and the nature of that's been very political, and it's in its involved organizing one group to pit itself against another group. Mm. And so, um, you know, that has had good and bad results, and, uh, and we've actually lost, the Christian community has lost that battle uh, to the secular community. Uh, but there's way, there are many more things that we can do to serve marriages that go far beyond just its definition. Uh, just, just the definition of a marriage doesn't mean that marriages are strong in a community. And so for, for community have, to be strong, a community has to have strong families. And for there to be strong families, you've got to have strong marriages because marriage is the central glue of a family. Mm -hmm. And so this is, a, this is a very sustainable, very durable way of strengthening marriages in a community to make a, a, a community better. So instead of rallying people to try to block some bill or pass some bill, right. or you're just focused more on let's just go and help people uh, have stronger marriages and families. That's right. We're doing less protesting, and we're using fewer bullhorns, and we're doing more serving and helping people who feel this call. I like that. That seems pretty biblical. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, Jesus, you know, and the they, they, couple instances when his own disciples, the apostles, yeah, we're saying, you know, what's what do I do? Uh, here's a coin. Do, do I give this to uh, to you or Caesar? And he's like, yeah, it's got Caesar's picture. Go and do that. Um, <laughs> be civic minded, but if you're serving, that's really what I'm calling you to. Not that's right. Which is not to to poo poo uh, people who are active politically. Absolutely, there's a place for political action, and there's a place for us to be standing up for what we you know value and hold to be true. Uh, but we need to. We need to diversify and broaden our reach into the community, and this is one of the ways that we can reach the community in a broader way. Yeah, it also seems like if we're just really serving people, uh, there's not a lot of room for to get sidetracked by 
attacks on on what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think we've built more unity in yes. doing this rather than more division. Yeah, I like and I that. think everybody is is for more unity than division. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> we sure could use a lot more unity in these times, couldn't we? <laughs> and let me just share with you a personal story. Uh, I was involved in advocacy, and I remember 20 years ago being at the state capitol in Texas. And, uh, and we, were, uh, we were advocating very strongly for a pro-marriage, a pro, uh, pro-Christian marriage approach. And, uh, and I, I went out into a hallway after I met with a, a state representative, and I met with someone who was from the other side. And they looked at me straight in the eye and stood toe-to-toe with me, and they said, if you Christians talk so much about how much you believe in marriage, then why do so many of you divorce? Mm. And what I realized is, you know, there's a— there's a lot of depth to that conversation, but but truthfully, you know, we've been a little bit hypocritical as the Christian mm-hmm. community. We talk about marriage, and marriage is a great covenant between a man and a woman and God, and yet we dispose of marriages in the Christian community almost the same as we do in the secular community. Mm-hmm. So this is a way for us to really invest in what we believe in. It's a it's a more su- sustainable way to move forward in this in a way that that is. Uh, more has more integrity to it yes i like that that's one of the biggest reasons why i've gotten involved with this i, I love what what you guys are doing and what we're doing i you, i am sammy you are sammy <laughs> <laughs> well okay so one of the ways that uh you've been talking about and i've been uh listening to you talk about uh you know well there's there's a need for more of our resources to be going into ways of helping marriage. Why is there a need for for that? That, that what's what's the vacuum there? What what are you seeing? Well, the the breakup of the family is a is a tremendously uh, large issue in our community. Uh, just in Bear County alone, just in our county where we reside, uh, there's uh, more than nine thousand divorce filings per year. And every one of those divorce filings uh, has a has a ripple effect across the community, and mm-hmm. and just the taxpayer cost alone of divorce is thirty eight thousand dollars per family, so that means in San Antonio uh, alone it's a three hundred million dollar a year problem, and Maggie Gallagher speaks to this in the fact that you know the government is not equipped to deal with problems of this size and the scope and this complexity, and she says that when men and women fail to form stable marriages. The first result is a vast expansion of government attempts to, to cope with the terrible social needs that result. I think we've seen that. Mm-hmm. The government is grasping, trying to, uh, you know, to deal with these problems. And so she continues. She said, there is scarcely a dollar that the state and federal government spends on social programs that is not driven in large part by family fragmentation, crime, poverty, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, school failure, mental and physical problems, and more. And so, yeah, we've known for decades, just from the census, that children of broken families are at much higher risk for pretty much everything we don't want in life. Right. With the things you just listed off, crime, uh, mental problems, poverty, low education, uh, themselves having broken families, um, emotional disorders, substance abuse. And, and that doesn't seem to come up a lot in the dialogue. You know, the culture says, well, um, uh, 
you know, if, if mom and dad are not getting along, <laughs> then isn't it going to be good for the family for them to split it up? Right. Because the kids are going to see mom and dad arguing. Can you speak to that? Well, in rare instances, that is true. But most often, it is not true. Most often, it's damaging to the family and far more damaging than we realize. And interesting, there's a tremendous amount of research around this. And one of the most interesting aspects of research says that couples who are on the brink of divorce, who decide to stay together, if you will fast forward in their life five years later, 80% of those couples are happily married five years later. And it's because every couple goes through a rough patch. And when you go through a rough patch, you feel like you're the only one that's dealing with these sort of problems. And you feel like the only way out is divorce. Divorce is a long-term solution to a short-term problem. Hmm. And I think that's something that we fail to realize. And, and so uh, for couples that are able to hang in there, uh, five years later, uh, 80% of those couples are happily married. And those children are still going to bed at night at home with their parents. And they're, and they're moved on to a, a better season of life. Because but, they learned to love, start loving each that's other. That's right. And interesting, another aspect of that is that is that couples who don't learn how to deal with issues become stunted as individuals because it is going through the hard times that develops your character. That is why it's it's uh, that's what's behind the the re-divorce rate. That's why when people remarry, they're even more likely to divorce. Is because when people don't learn how to handle problems and conflict and the normal issues that come up between two selfish human beings. These people don't grow as persons, and when they don't grow and when they get divorced and remarry and encounter the same problems again, they typically divorce again. And so they're going through life as stunted individuals mm-hmm. and rather than growing through difficult and challenging seasons. And yeah. so it's good for the couple to try to work things out, unless in these rare, you know, we always talk about these rare circumstances, you know, the three A's, adultery, abuse, uh, affairs, that's, uh, and um, what's the other one? Addictions. And even in those cases, a lot of times, and you, you know, you're, you're our hero for this, John, you, you even help those type of couples bring things back together. So, so absolutely. uh, Yeah, there's um, what people so often fail to recognize is that there's still they're still mom and dad, and they right. still have a relationship with each other and jointly to the children. So m- divorce does not erase that relationship. It just tends to complicate it more. So two people who don't get along with each other, um, now with all the, the ad- added stressors of extra, another set of bills to pay, mm-hmm. another you know whole other set of rent or mortgage or and utility bills and all that, and the complexities of of running the family from two different headquarters as opposed to one just adds stress to that relationship. So it uh, it doesn't make their relationship go away. They just have now more challenges to the relationship, and they've relabeled that relationship as from married to exes. So yeah, that that's one big reason why the, the statistics say, yes, the children actually do better with a family that stays intact, even though the mom and dad don't get along, then the children whose parents divorce when they don't get along. That's right. So the, the logic is, well, we don't get along. We'll get along. Uh, well, everything we'll get along better if we if we live in two separate places. Well, that doesn't tend to help you learn how to get along better. Right? That's right. That's okay. right. 
And you know, some misinformation that goes along with that is this concept that, quote, children are resilient. Mm. Um, children are resilient to a certain uh, point, but there's been some incredible studies on the long-term impact of divorce on kids. And they're not quite as resilient as we think they are. Yeah. Uh, they just haven't learned how to process a lot of these things yet. And, and, uh, but a lot of the impact of divorce goes decades into the future as these kids end up becoming adults and getting married and having their own divorce cycle begin. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up. There was a, um, when I, for years, when I heard people say that, well, children are resilient, they bounce back. And I was like, yeah, there's some truth to that. But for some reason, it doesn't sit right with me. Well, years ago, I was running the counseling center at San Antonio College, and part of my duties was also to run the VA office. And I had several uh, veterans that were coming back from the from the um, Gulf War that um, were, you know, they, they paid for them to be part-time workers in, in the office there. And there was one guy, I'll call him Bill, that had... With not, not even a year before he came there to go to school, had both of his legs blown off by an improvised explosive device. And he was in a wheelchair, and he was the most joyful guy in the office. Energetic, always a step ahead of you know, what I needed, he already knew, and was always just really just warmed up the whole place for everybody. And uh, one day he wheeled in and handed me some papers that I needed to sign. And I said, hey, Bill, would you, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. And I said, do you mind shutting the door? This might be a little personal. So uh, he shut the door and um, I said, you are the most joyful person in this office, but less than a year ago, you lost both of your legs. Explain that to me. And he said, well, you know, you choose to bounce back. Hmm. And, and I thought about that, you know, after he went out and I, and I thought, yeah, he bounced back without his legs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. I mean, he's doing the best of what he can do with what he's got, but the guy still will never be able to walk and he'll not right. be able to, to do, he won't be able to go. You and I were talking about, we love to go hiking. He won't yeah. get to do those kind of things. So, right. Yeah, uh, that that kind of brought that more into focus. What, what, yeah. what yeah, children are resilient, but uh-huh. yeah. Okay, sorry, I, I, I no, that's interrupted good. your your thought there. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's I think it's true. I think I think that's a misnomer. I don't think it's true. Children are resilient in some ways, but they're not nearly as resilient resilient as we think they are. Well, yeah, we could go into. A lot of data mm-hmm. as to that. One one good resource I'm just that's come to mind is uh, Judith Wallerstein's absolutely the, um, unexpected legacy of divorce. That's exactly what I was quoting. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> well, you brought this term to me: uh, upstream philanthropy. Absolutely. And you're you're saying this might be one of the big pieces to to addressing. This whole issue. What tell, tell tell me what that is? Absolutely. Well, you know, um, we of course we're in the middle of political season right now, and there's so much focus on what's going on in Washington D.C. Um, but truthfully, I I, I, I often, haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I often say that uh, 
the problems we have are more on Main Street USA than Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And, and that is because our democracy and our country was designed uh, for what John Adams called a, a moral and religious people. Our country, a democracy, is designed for a community of people who have strong virtues and who, who carry a strong sense of faith and who practice that faith. And a lot of the problems that our country faces uh, are, is really because of the breakdown of family. Uh, and, you know, the breakdown of family is not something that's new. We talk about the breakdown of family as if it's a fairly new revelation to us. But the, the history of the breakdown of the family goes way back into the 1830s. I was going to say it goes way back to... <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> I can't think of a functional family in Genesis. <laughs> That's <accident>. right. <laughs> but uh, the far back as I've read is 1830s. So let's just call <laughs> okay, it that. Yeah, okay, good. But one of the things that happened in the 1830s is the 1830s was the beginning of the, the uh, communication and transportation revolution. And it, it brought a, gr- a dramatically growing level of prosperity to families across our country, growing relative, you know, to where we are today, but certainly growing. And in the 1880s and 1890s, our country emerged into what was called the Progressive Era. And the Progressive Era happened because, because we, as a country, had begun to experience more prosperity, and we'd been brought out of this uh, this subsistence farming type uh, community, and and people were had finally had been liberated from these backbreaking jobs that consumed their entire spirit. In the 1890s, we began to say, "What can we do better?" And and in the 1890s, uh, women began to assert themselves and begin to say. Uh, that men, uh, truthfully, were living a double standard in our country. Uh, alcoholism, prostitution, and gambling were incredibly rampant all mm-hmm. throughout our country. And there was this des- this incredible double standard between men and women. And women began to insert, assert their independence for the first time because they, for the first time ever they had the financial prosperity to be able to do that, to live outside of the marriage. And in the single decade between 1890 and 1900, in that 10-year period, the divorce filings per capita in our country quadrupled. And it's, it's hard to imagine you know, that far back that it was such a big issue. But in the year 1900, the newspapers writers of the day were writing about the fact that our country was in the middle of a divorce epidemic, something we had never seen before. And they were writing uh, in the context that within roughly 10 to 20 years, the family would no longer even exist in our country. Well, we know that that didn't happen exactly like that, but we have seen a continual erosion of the family. And the problem about, about the breakdown of the family is that as I read in that quote from uh, Maggie Gallagher before, there's many downstream impacts of the breakdown of the family. And I'll give you some example. Poverty, hunger, homelessness, risky behavior with teenagers, domestic abuse, drug abuse, teenage pregnancy, sex trafficking, abortion, lower academic scores, high, high school dropouts, unemployment, gang activity, crime, juvenile incarceration, all of these things that are common to our culture today are the result or they are the what we call the downstream downstream impact of the breakdown of the family so it sounds like i hope you're not going here and i know you you're not going here but if i'm listening to this i might be going well see now one person might say well this sounds like you're advocating for 
something of going back to a time when women just be silent and and keep their head down and do what their husbands tell them to do. And uh, some people might be going, yep, see, that's the answer right there. If, if, if we just go back to the days when the women just lived in their silence and misery and, <laughs> and didn't have any say, and uh, that's not where you're going, though. Absolutely not. Uh, but, but the pendulum swings too far in each direction. Mm. The pendulum was too far in the other direction in the 1800s, and now it has swung too far in the other direction. And I think there needs to be a stronger balance. Kids do better. Societies do better in, in the permanence of forever families. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and society begins to break down when, uh, when the family begins to break down. You know, families are the school of character. They are, they, families are the place where we teach the meaning of love, the necessity of forgiveness, it's where kids learn to be empathetic with one another, where they learn to trust other people. It learns, it's where they learn to be generous. Kids learn boundaries and discipline in families, as well as restraint. And it's also the place where faith is lived, and it's where faith is first taught. And in the family, you get your foundations of your belief. But even more than that, the traditional family is the cradle of civilization. The, the family is the first cell in the organism of human society, and it is the most basic building block of communities, of neighborhoods, and the myriad of ways that people affiliate with one another. And so the family itself is really the, the basis of our society. And if we, if we allow families to disintegrate, if we allow that pendulum to swing too far in the other direction, if we allow couples to divorce just because they're not happy at the moment, there is a there is a downstream consequence to that. There's a downstream downstream impact. We obviously you you said I think earlier on uh, we've culturally we've lost the battle. We've lost the battle of policy. Um, so when you say we can't allow, I'm, I, I don't think you're advocating for let's start some policy where people uh, can't get divorced. Right. You're, that's not what you're saying. Not at all. No. But but uh, some other states are experimenting with an idea to have a waiting period. Okay. Uh, so um, are we going to prevent divorce? Absolutely not. It, this is interesting. You know, um, before the 1970s, before the era of no-fault divorce, which surprisingly was championed by Ronald Reagan, that surprises a lot of conservatives, yes. <laughs> is that Ronald Reagan was the, the, the California governor who championed this idea of no-fault divorce. My dad was a district judge, and he was presiding over divorces in his courtroom on a daily basis, and they were miserable because people had to prove certain things, and, and it, was, it was impossible, very, very difficult to get a divorce, and it, it brought out the worst in all of us. Mm-hmm. But when no-fault divorce happened, then it just opened the floodgates. And again, it, the pendulum has swung too far in each direction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, can, we, can we stop divorce? Can we prevent divorce entirely? Absolutely not. But should we allow divorce to happen just at the drop of a hat? Maybe that's too far. Maybe we should find some sort of happy medium. And that gets back to really this idea of, of the upstream and the downstream of problems. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, getting back just to the downstream issues, kids from divorce, from broken homes, they are twice as likely to be arrested for a juvenile crime. Uh, they are twice as likely to be treated 
for emotional and behavioral problems. They're twice as likely to be expelled or suspended from school. And they're a third more likely to drop out before finishing high school. And so there's all of these downstream problems. And one of the biggest problems that I think we face in our culture is that if, if you are of Western European descent, and a lot of us are, a lot of us came, our families came here from Europe, you tend to be an analytical thinker. That means you think in parts, and you think about problems in the, in the parts of their problem. So as an analytical thinker, you tend to think that our, the problems in our culture are teenage pregnancy. Our problems are juvenile incarceration. These are our problems. But the opposite of analytical thinking is holistic thinking. That's typically what Eastern people, like people from China and Asia, they're holistic thinkers. They think of the big picture, not analytically in the pieces. Breaking it all down into nice, neat little... That's right. Explainable packages. Well, analytical thinking is what has brought us great advances in engineering and in manufacturing. And that's why we, in our country, developed all these great things. And that's why Eastern thinkers copied it, is because we're analytical thinkers. And so we think of our problems in terms of the parts of the problem. Holistic thinkers think of the big picture. And the big picture is that is that you've got to go upstream to these downstream problems. And, and at some point in time, uh, there's a, it's a funny story. I was in Little Rock helping the Central Arkansas Marriage Initiative get started, and we were talking about all this, the problems of the downstream. And uh, an old, uh, old gentleman who uh, had a great southern accent, he said, you know, he said, in our part of the world, you know, once I, if I'm standing next to a river and I see all these dead bodies floating down a river, at some point a thinking man goes upstream and says, what's happening up, upstream in the river? And... Uh, Instead of just focusing on pulling the people, out yeah, from that's right. right. And so, and so, we've got to begin to think about how can we go upstream to these problems of high school dropout and juvenile incarceration and, and crime and drug abuse and so forth. How can we go to upstream, and how can we do things that will make stra- families stronger in the upstream? Part of this is our human nature. Because part of our human nature is that we love to do things that are heroic. Mm-hmm. And it feels so heroic to save people in, in their great distress. And I, I remember the story of a friend. Uh, he was a firefighter, and he started out as a typical firefighter would, and he rode on the back of a fire truck. And, uh, and, he, and he did that for many years. And, and one of the things that he began to observe as, as a traditional firefighter, is a lot of the beginnings of those fires had the same root cause. And he began to think to himself, you know, he said, if, if, if I really want to be more effective with what my life, what I would do is I would move out of putting out fires, I would move into prevention of fires. I'd, move, I'd become a fire prevention officer. And so that's what he did. And he felt like he was more effective as a fire prevention officer. So part of the problem with... It's just not as exciting for people That's to right. give to. They like to give to the rescue kind of things as Absolutely. opposed to the prevention. One of the things that he said was, he said, you know, he said, I know that I'm doing the right thing, but he said, I sure do miss riding on the back of a fire truck. Hmm. It sure seemed more heroic. And that is our human nature, is that we're drawn to those people who, uh, who are in desperate need, and we love to save people out of their desperate need. And that's why we love as humans to do that sort of thing. But the science of the mind, it, it, we call it effective altruism, means that, yes, we are to think with our heart. Absolutely, we must, 
we must feel things with our heart, but we also got to think with our mind. And our mind tells us that you've got to do more things at the root cause. And marriage is the root cause of the breakdown of the family. So for some people, the, one of the problems here is it's, it's a lot, uh, you get a lot more good feeling by getting out of that picture made with the, the big fake check that's, that says you're giving to a somebody floating in the river kind of thing as right. opposed to, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make for such a great photo op when you're giving to something that's preventing the person from being in the river in the first place. That's right. If you if you help marriages grow stronger in the beginning, how many marriages did you save? You you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know you're doing the right thing, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel as exciting. Yes. But we've. It's not that we can't. Uh, um, attend to the needs of the downstream problems. It's that we need to diversify how we're investing our money and our time and our energy and our talent. We need to we need to diversify our approach and not just spend all of our energy working in the downstream. We need to take some of that money and some of that time and energy. We need to invest it upstream. Yes. Well, you as you know, part of our ministry is a lot of downstream, you know, uh, the love reboot. We're, we're doing a lot of rescuing Absolutely. or rescue attempts. A lot of people are being rescued, but yes, it does. After a while, I, I relate to that firefighter. After a while, you go, you know, if we could just do a lot more before they get in the stream, because uh, it is it is just gut wrenching to just over and over again be dealing with downstream things. It's exciting, but it's also you just it's so frustrating to think. To think I could there'd be so fewer of these people that we're dealing with if, if we're dealing with them more upstream if we're giving to um, to causes that that really hold the family together right instead of trying to heal a bunch of wounds from families falling apart well and that's that's a, an enormous issue today because our young couples our young young kids that are growing up these millennials um, they're in a really challenging spot right now. There is a, there is a crisis of trust around marriage. Uh, some interesting research came out on this uh, recently that said that millennials desire to be married despite what we, you know, we talk a lot about how millennials are cohabitating and they're not marrying at the same rate and they're not. Millennials desire to be married as much as we did, but there is a breakdown of trust in marriage. In fact, it says, the research said that millennials viewed marriage as fragile and unreliable. The thing is, we need to go upstream with these young couples today, just like what you were saying. We need to go upstream and help them develop the skills and the mindset and the attitude around marriage to make them successful in marriage. We need to help young people start marriage right. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, we can, just like you say, we'll have hopefully fewer downstream casualties. Well, we're coming up on the big end-of-the-year push for all us nonprofits are out there trying to <laughs> trying to get uh, you know everybody's their big check that they write out at the end of the year to what could we be doing differently than we've done in the past at this time of, of giving to ministries and to civic organizations well you know we we meet we run into so many organizations at the marriage initiative that are doing such great work Growing Love Network, your your work, John, is uh, is phenomenal. Love Reboot is a phenomenal program. I believe in it. I think p- 
people need to give to Love Reboot, and I think they need to give for scholarship funds, and they need to help Growing Love Network reach more people. I don't. Uh, there are okay, very few. There's your first hundred dollars. <laughs> Keep going now. But uh, you know, you know how I believe in what you and Joanna do, and uh, how significant it is. Uh, and there's a, a number of ministries just like yours across the city that are nonprofit organizations that are doing tremendous work to help couples. Mm-hmm. We need to invest in marriage ministry in our own church. Mm-hmm. You know, I've made some designated gifts in our own church, uh, my wife and I have, to to strengthen marriages. Churches don't have budgets for marriage ministries. And it's amazing, it's surprising how many churches have couples who really want to do marriage ministry in their church. They have no budget for it. I know of couples that don't even have a budget for, for photocopies. They have yes. to pay everything out of their pocket. And so to make a designated gift to your own church would be a great way to invest in marriages. To, to send an aunt, and, or I mean a nephew, a niece, a nephew, or to send some, covens, uh, some cousins to a marriage enrichment event. You know, we have Weekend Remembers coming up in San Antonio. Or What's Weekend Remembers. What's the Remember. date of that? It's, it's November, I believe it's November 18th through 20th. Okay. And you still know, lots of openings for that? Uh, there's about 100 spaces left. Okay. It's filling up fast. But uh, Weekend Remembers are held year-round around the country in, in many different venues here in Texas. Uh, just to send, we've sent uh, family members to a, a marriage getaway weekend. You know, it's surprising. People, they'll invest in the maintenance of their own car, but they won't invest in the maintenance of their own marriage. And so yeah. to, you can do that. You know, this is bringing to mind one of the reasons, and I've been working with churches for, oh, almost 30 years now, um, over well, over 30 years in, in youth and family ministries and um, I've seen uh, over my lifetime, churches have tried all different types of approaches. So part of part of the thinking is there's got to be this silver bullet for marriages. And so they, they'll try one thing for a while, and that doesn't seem to stem the tide, so they try another thing. And I think what you're saying is uh, there's, it's, there's not a one-size-fits-all. That's why one of the reasons Sammy's created to bring together these all these different um, entities that that hit different in different ways like for instance weekend to remember phenomenal right um, workshop and and doing great things that would not be some something that you would send probably a couple that's in crisis to right uh, and and so you know and likewise there's there's couples I would say you know what I won't say love, love reboots for you. One weekend, remember, you guys got a pretty, you know, you're you got a pretty grounded, solid uh, covenant with each other. Mm-hmm. You just need some fine tuning and some refreshing, or you know. So uh, that's one of the I think one of the big problems why churches, for the most part, don't even have a marriage ministry budget because if they've they thought we've got we've got to do something, but what the money we've been putting into this is not working and, and and because probably because they can't on by themselves cover all the the needs that marriages have and so that's, that's right. why we're pulling together that's why Sammy's pulling together right. bringing bringing the strengths of these different entities and here's one church is doing this good thing and for marriages here's a, this church doing another and we're pulling those together and making sure that we're hitting all the different aspects of, of, of marriage hell. That's right. 
Well, it's, it's a daunting task for a church leader or even for a couple that wants to do this in their church. So we serve these folks. We help come alongside. We help you develop a strategic year-round plan that's ideally suited for your church and has the, your church DNA and how you express uh, what you do in your church in that plan. And we help you. We start small. We take baby steps. We, you know, crawl, walk, run. We help you go through the various stages of growing that marriage ministry. We help, we help recruit a local volunteer team who will, who will lead that. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that's in the pew that has, who because of their life and story has, is just the right mix to lead marriage ministry. We help them recruit a broader team to help serve in that church. We help the senior pastor with messaging. We help the staff member develop a lot of strategy and resourcing around it. So we we serve at no cost. We serve the local church to help them begin, recruit, and raise up marriage ministries to serve the marriages in their congregation. Because one of the fallacies is, is that most churches would say, we don't have a marriage ministry. The truth is, every church has a marriage ministry. Right. Because every church has couples that are struggling, Every church has couples that are divorcing, and every church steps in to help those couples. The question is, are you going to deal with it on the downstream impact, or are you going to invest in the upstream of your couples? Because every church has a marriage ministry. And, you know, it's it's also important, John, we are in this season of the year when when many couples are struggling. Um, November and December are two of the most challenging uh, months for couples because— mostly during that season, couples will set aside plans to divorce because nobody wants to divorce their spouse on Christmas week. Right. And uh, and they go through that November and December season with one of two thoughts. Either, number one, I hope that sometime during this Christmas or holiday season that we will reconnect as a couple. Or number two is I'm already out and I'm going to wait till after Christmas to divorce. And what happens every year is we have what's called divorce season. Divorce season kicks off in January, it increases in February, and it peaks in March every year. And if you look at the Bear County divorce filings for every month of the year, every month, every year, more is uh, March is the peak of divorce filings, and it's because couples give up, and they and the new year is a fresh start, and they. They uh, go down and file a divorce, and here's the, the most here's the most awful thing about this, is that very often our brothers and sisters in Christ are the last to know. Yes, it's amazing how many times we get a call at the marriage initiative in January or February or March from a church leader, and they say something like this: "Well, we love what y'all are doing, and we wish we could be a part of it. We just haven't had time, but we have a, a special problem right now, and it is that a deacon couple." is getting divorced, and this is what they say that next. They say, we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. How is it possible that a couple can be going through maybe the most stressful season of their life, the most difficult, most challenging season of their life, and their own brothers and sisters in Christ don't know about it? Right. It's because it's not safe to be who we are right. too often in our church community, and it's not safe to... Uh, to reveal what's really happening. Well, that sounds like a good whole topic to get on to <laughs> next time we have you on. <laughs> so many places we could go. Uh, man, it's been a joy. And I, I want to, how do people get in touch with Sammy? What's the website? Our web address is samarriage.com. That's samarriage.com. 
And our phone number is 210-651-5050. We have a number of folks uh, throughout the community that want to serve you, and so we just love to reach out and and uh, and help you any way we can. Yes, and boy, uh, if you're if you're listening to this and uh, you're a church leader, how can what what can we do to uh, create more or start a, a proactive marriage ministry? Please get in touch with San Antonio Marriage Initiative. And uh, if you want resources, all kinds of resources, couple story workshops, a great thing. Uh, the marriage, um, uh, I just went blank on, on Tim's. Marriage Champion Church. Marriage Champion Churches, yeah. yes. Get your church to be a part of that and be involved in that. That's a great, another initiative that's part of the San Antonio Marriage, marriage Initiative. And I could go on and on, but we're out of time. Okay. Thank you so much, Carl, for uh, being on here. And I sure appreciate you and and all that you're doing for so many. Well, John, thank you for having me. And thank you for the work that you and Joanne are doing. It is very significant to our community. You're making a tremendous difference in so many marriages. And everybody in this community needs to be connected to you because y'all are a great support system. (laughs) Likewise. It's joyful doing this kind of work, isn't it? It is. All right. (laughs) Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com. Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.